The last number of weeks, we've been going over a series of subjects. But of course, as I've mentioned before, it's not that I chose them, but God gave them to me back in the middle of April. So I need to back up a little bit just to give you an idea of where we've been coming from. And I'll go back to a message on that we are saved by grace. It's a wonderful thing to know that by the grace of God, we can be saved not based on anything that we could do ourselves, but it was a free gift from God. Then we spoke on living by grace, which probably to this point in time, as I've said before, was the most challenging for me because we come to really know grace when we really hit bottom in our weakness. And Paul says, when I am weak, then I'm strong. And the Lord would not take that thorn for the flesh away from Paul, even although he pleaded with God. And that is so needed by us as we continue in the Christian life, lest we become high-minded And we spoke about the need for us to die to sin. And when we died with Christ, we also died to sin as he died to sin. And we're no longer under the dominion of sin because we're no longer under the law, but under God's grace. And last week, well, two weeks ago, I guess it would be, I spoke on why the law was given and the law basically was given to expose sin and not only that, that sin might increase all the more. So the law is not the answer to our problems. The law becomes our problems. And last week I spoke on Romans 7 and Paul uses the illustration of the marriage law in order to show us how we can be set free from the law. We can only be set free from sin through our death with Christ. We can only be set free from the law through dying. Through the body of Christ, we are set free. And the illustration that Paul uses regarding the marriage law, which I didn't cover last week, is that he looks at that as if law was her first hus- our first husband. And as I said last week, you wonder as you begin to read through Paul's epistles why he devotes as much time as he does to the law and our freedom from it when the law was not given to the Gentiles. And I believe the reason for that was that Judaism came in very early in church history. which caused the Gentiles to think that they needed the law of Moses, even although in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, when they wrote up the letter to the Gentiles regarding the things that they needed to do, they made sure that they did not include the law of Moses as had been proposed by the Pharisees that were living among them. Our death with Christ then has set us free from that. 
But the problem we run into is that when we look at our lives and the way in which our lives evolve and we look at ourselves and we become self-conscious is that we don't believe that this is actually true. We see that we're still plagued by sin and we still come under some kind of authority of law and the whole Christian faith, Christian life is based on faith. It's not based on sight. These things can only be received by faith. And what we believe or don't believe will affect our lives. If we believe that we have died with Christ, we've been set free from sin, from its dominion, and that we're no longer under sin because we're no longer under the law. And if we really believe that when we died with Christ that we have been set free from the law, if we believe that, we've got really good news, which is this week's message. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if we live as if it is not true, we will not experience the liberty and joy that we have when God says that we're no longer under condemnation. The two things that were there to cause condemnation were sin and the law. And now that they've been removed, Paul writes in, in chapter 8 of Romans, there is now then no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. John wrote in his gospel in John 3, and we can quote verse 16, but from verse 17 he says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Therefore, those in the world that have not received Jesus as their Savior are still under condemnation. But the good news for the believer is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That expression, in Christ Jesus, we'll have to wait till next week's message, and we'll go over what that means to be in Christ. So we're going to have a look today at Romans chapter 8, which follows then chapters 6 and 7, which begins with, therefore. When you see the word therefore, you wonder what it is there for, so you go back to chapter 6 and chapter 7. Because we've been set free from sin, because we've been set free from the law, therefore, because of that, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has freed me from the law of sin and death. I was going to leave this to a little bit later in the message, but I'm going to give you a true life experience that I've had regarding the, this whole idea of no condemnation. Ten years ago, my father went to be with the Lord. 
And I know that there will be some of you here that will be able to relate to this. When we had visitation, which was on the Friday night, there was a man came to our visitation that was a year or two older than my father. And my wife and I had left that denomination that we had grown up in. And he came up to me and he says, Dave, you know where you should be. You've got to read between the lines. You know where you should be. You left the church you grew up in. You know where you should be. And he said a few other things. What was he doing? He was condemning me. Here's what I said to him. I said, I don't receive that. I'm not going to receive that because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was silent and walked away. See, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God placed us into Christ, which is illustrated in baptism. Don't you know that when you were baptized, you were placed into Christ? We were placed into Christ, and because we are in Christ, if there's any condemnation coming our way, it has to come through him first. We are still in Christ. He's seated in the heavenlies. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. And we'll see what else Paul writes about this. So the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law. This is interesting. I had never noticed this. When Paul's writing this, Paul uses the personal pronoun, me. The law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has freed me, Paul, from the law of sin and death. I mentioned this weeks and weeks ago. I guess it was before Sim left. So you've probably forgotten by now because I forget half the messages I've given. I don't expect you to. This law of sin and death was that which was set up after the fall. Because sin had entered the world through Adam. A law was set up that from that point on, everyone born from Adam would sin. And the result of sin, there would be death. Now we've come to this point in which there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What happened? A greater law supersedes that law of sin and death. You wonder why I'm carrying around a tissue. Just to illustrate this. So if I drop this, but I catch it before it hits the floor, that's a greater law. It supersedes this law of gravity and preserves it from falling on the floor. This is exactly the same case that's happened with the believer. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from that law of sin and death. You have a fear of death? Are you still bothered with sin? Then you haven't recognized the fact that you're 
living under a much more superior law than you ever were before, preventing you from that, preventing from having the fear of death. Because Jesus was the one. He destroyed him, that is Satan, who had the power of death. He destroyed him so that he could set free those through their whole lifetime were subject to bondage because of the fear of death. And Jesus, when he went into death, took the keys away, as John says in Revelation, I have the keys of death and of Hades. There's no fear for the believer. We come under a much more superior law, that law of the spirit of life, not death, which is in Christ Jesus. Sin is on death row. God has done what the law could not do. Its power being weakened by the flesh in the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit by sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh, subdued, overcame, deprived of its its power over all who accept that sacrifice. Death is on, sin is on death row. Let me back up because I think I need to have a look here. What the law could not do. This is one that I explained before. It's the wording that is used, that Paul uses in the way the translators translate it. It makes it a bit difficult for us sometimes to understand what he's talking about. So God has done what the law could not do. Its power being weakened by the flesh. It appears at first blush as you read it that the laws is is something that is strong, but it's not. It's the opposite. Because the flesh is so strong and wants to do what it wants to do, the law has no power to correct it. You see, the law... All it does is it condemns us. It tells us what's wrong. And when we do what is wrong, it's helpless to help us to be able to do what's right. It just states facts. And it can't help us. When we have been married to Christ through resurrection, which was Romans 7, he now becomes our new husband. And he enables us and gives us power to be able to overcome those things in our lives that burden us and that drag us down and that brings us under condemnation. So here the fact is that the flesh is stronger than the law. The law cannot do anything to help us to overcome sin. But he's condemned sin in the flesh. That is a legal term. So it's gone to a court of law and has been found guilty. Sin was put on trial at the cross. Sin was found guilty by God. And God condemned it back to his cell until the day that that final judgment of execution is accomplished. That is why we are still plagued with sin. Because we're in these bodies that have not changed. These bodies have the pretensity to sin because of what we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. We're still tempted to do that. 
But sin itself is on death row. It no longer has dominion or authority over the believer. Therefore, we can say no to sin. If we don't say no to sin, we start to go on a downward spiral, and you would think that a believer was now an unbeliever because constantly sinning, which in fact is not possible for a believer. But this is the case. Sin has been condemned. Sin will continue right through to the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ until death is cast into the lake of fire. Where death is, sin goes with it. That is the point in time in which sin will finally meet its final execution. It continues right through that time. So why did God condemn sin in the flesh? So that the righteous and just requirements of the law might be fulfilled and met in us who live and move, not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the spirit. When we very often speak about our freedom from the law, many denominations and people will resist that. They think we need to do that. And in fact, I've heard from some, well, we need grace and we need the law too. Well, if that is the case, read between the lines what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 regarding the woman. If the woman dies, if we die, we're set free from the law. So that we might have Jesus Christ as our new husband. If you're going to have Jesus Christ and the law as both your husbands, what Paul's saying is you're committing adultery. And there are many that are trying to do the same thing. And God says you're committing adultery. But the reason he set us free is so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That transpires at the point of new birth. When we're born again, God has given us a new DNA in which and I've used this illustration, maybe not here. I, I wrote it out a while ago. I'd never remember it. But let me just illustrate it this way. The computer. So you've got a hard drive. At the point of salvation, the body doesn't change. The hard drive remains the same, but it has an operating system. At the point of salvation, that operating system is removed and a new operating system is installed. With that new operating system comes the law fulfilled in us. It's written on our hearts. It's the way in which a believer lives. We automatically live that kind of life. But the problem is we think that that's not true because I look at what I'm doing in my life and it comes back then to what you believe. Do you believe it is so? And if it is so, you will begin to live as if it is so. The mind of the flesh. And Paul moves from one subject to another very rapidly throughout Romans 8 here. For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. The greatest difficulty that we're facing in our day, and I don't have a, 
I, I can't figure out the reason for it. Sometimes I'm wondering, is it in the air? Is it in our food? I don't know. But there's a problem where there are many, many more people that are dealing with things of the mind. I'm not sure that I have a solution. I mean, I've gone through that myself, as I've mentioned before. But the whole reason for our being set free from this, so that we can set our minds, our new minds, not on the things of the flesh, And we're all plagued by that. And we will be as long as we're living. We're plagued by something. It's either this is what you want and that's what you're coveting or it's the whole gamut of the things that are are sinful. We have that tendency to do that. But those who are according to the Spirit are controlled by the desires of the Spirit. They set their minds and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. We have a decision to make where we set our minds. If we set our minds to the things of the flesh and we're concerned, I mean, that can even be, am I going to lose my job? To whatever it might be, if that's where our focus is and our minds are set on that and we're trying to do everything that we can to extricate ourselves from whatever that situation is, When we're doing this with our fleshly mind, we are going to fail every time. But those who, according to spirit, are controlled by the desires of the spirit, set their minds and seek those things which satisfies the Holy Spirit. This is a determined decision that we have to make. It's not always easy. But we have the decision to make. We can't just say, God, you take over and do it. No, he's given us a decision. We have to make that decision. So the battlefield is in the mind. Now the mind of the flesh, which in sense and reason without the Holy Spirit is death. It always produces death. Death is the absence of life. If I'm not alive, if I all of a sudden, at some point in time, I I look back on my life and I see, you know, When I first accepted Jesus as my Savior, I was so excited, I was alive, I was ready to tell everybody, I was on fire. And those of us that are older will agree, a day comes when that fire tends to go out. We're all plagued with the same thing. The problem is where we've set our minds. This is why Scripture keeps bringing us back to focuses on Jesus Christ. If you read the the letters to the seven churches that Jesus wrote to them, he begins every single letter to every single church with a revelation of himself. I am the first and the last and the living one to a church that was coming under persecution. We must refocus our attention on Jesus Christ, especially now in the days that we're living There's everything in the world to take our minds away from Jesus Christ. And I've said before, and I think it's a plague, is social media. It tends to use up so much of our time. And if I think of myself, how much time do I spend searching things through the internet compared with the time that I spend with God? 
And if it's lopsided towards the things of the world, I wonder why I've settled into such a discouraging lifestyle. It's because I haven't been spending time with God. Those believers in persecuted countries have their most important thing that they have in their life is to focus on Christ. And when they're given scriptures that they can't carry in their hands, many times it's written on a piece of paper and they memorize it. That is what is getting them through those days. And those days might be ahead of us. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace. The mind of the flesh is death. The mind of the spirit is life and peace. Anybody need peace? I think we're all looking for peace these days. Our minds, I, when I was going through things in crisis, I would say I, had, I got brain fever. I mean, your brain is just going, right? 100 miles a minute. This is what's going on. But the mind of the spirit is life and it's peace. As we focus on Christ, this is what's the result. Both now and forever. That is because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God for it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So then, those who are living the life of the flesh, catering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature, cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to him. The believer naturally, because of the new life in them, wants to please God. But we can live a life of the flesh. This comes to light, especially in a crisis. You wonder how I know? I've gone through crises. And the worst comes out sometimes. I don't know about you, but we make rash, quick decisions. It's the mind of the flesh. And we didn't stop long enough to communicate with the Holy Spirit. Where do I go from here? And if you don't get an answer, as I said last week, don't do anything. Stand still until you hear from God. I would sooner be a day too late than to make the wrong move. It can be disastrous, not only for you, but for all those that are around you. So, this is a a part here that we tend to do. I don't know why. It's a natural thing for us. Don't evaluate your spiritual life based on your performance. We look to see how good we're doing. We become self-conscious and we walk beside ourselves and look at ourselves and say, you know, Dave's not so bad after all. Everybody else says he's not so good, but when we look at ourselves, we evaluate ourselves, but that's not God's estimation. But you are not living the life of the flesh. You are living the life of the spirit. There's only, only the two. You're either living in the life of the flesh or the life of the spirit. And we tend to live both of those lives off and on. Let's not make it unrealistic. But Paul accredits us with living the life of the Spirit. 
So let's get it in our mind. I'm living the life of the Spirit because it says that I am. I've been born again. This is the life that I need to live, is the life of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God really dwells in you, directs and controls you, if anyone doesn't, ah, I must have missed a, a slide. If you're not living the life of the flesh, you are not. You are living the life of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and directs and controls you. To live the life of the Spirit, to try and make this practical, this is very practical now. I guess I don't have a better illustration. I was preparing a message for tonight, this last week. And I thought I have it all ready and together. And then last evening, as I was sitting in my chair, a thought came to my mind. And you're wondering, where did that come from? And I had to decide, is this a redirect? Is this the Holy Spirit telling me something? That's a little bit disconcerting. We've got a message prepared for tonight and then the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm going to change that. This is practical. So, was that the Holy Spirit or is it something else? Well, obviously it had to be the Holy Spirit because he directed my mind to Scripture. The enemy of our soul is not going to do that. This is the practical working out of it. So if we're going to rely on the Holy Spirit, and we do that from day to day, this will prevent us from getting into so many difficulties that, we, that arise. Paul goes on to the next one. He says, he says uh, if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He does not belong to Christ and is not truly a child of God. He's bringing everybody up short. Check. Check and see. Do you have the Holy Spirit or don't you? Is there evidence of the fact you have the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will be directing your mind to Christ and to the Scriptures. That is his job, if you will. He will lead you into all truth. He will only speak the things that he hears from the Father. And he will tell you of things to come. Those categories is the area in which the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. If there's evidence of that, you know that you have the Holy Spirit. That also is evidence of the fact that you are saved. If you have a lack of assurance of salvation, look to see, is the Holy Spirit directing you in your life? If he is, that's Full evidence of the fact that you've been born again. You can't do that unless you've been born again. Christ in you changes your life. But if Christ lives in you, then although your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt, the spirit is alive because of the righteousness that he imputed into you. Christ lives in us. That's going to be a subject of another message. 
There's a lot of things that are involved when Christ is living in us that we'll have a look at later. But if he is, then our natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt. But the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And I keep harping on this probably. But I hope it gets into us. So many are conscious of their sins, but unconscious of their righteousness. We have been made righteous based on the obedience of Christ. The disobedience of one man, everyone has been constituted a sinner. But by the obedience of one, the many have been made righteous. We are righteous because of Jesus Christ, not our own righteousness. When we believe, that righteousness is imputed to us. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also restore life to your mortal, short-lived, perishable bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I think in this particular verse, we have two things that are possibility, and maybe both of them are right. The Holy Spirit coming into us, into this mortal flesh, makes us alive. But it's also in reference to a day to come, when we will be raised on account of the fact that the Holy Spirit has been living in us. But he gives life. So the mind of the flesh lives to satisfy our fleshly desires, is death, it's hostile towards God, and it cannot please God. The mind of the spirit wants to do what the spirit desires. Living by the Holy Spirit results in life and peace. That's a summary. So are you living a defeated life because of condemnation? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let that sink in. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Because Jesus Christ died for us. And more than that, he was raised to life. It is is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who can bring an accusation? God says, I'm not. Jesus says, I'm not. Are you going to receive condemnation from someone if you are in Christ? No, I'm not. You're free. You're absolutely free. Jesus who died to save us from our sins will not condemn those who received him by faith. Impossible. He loved us too much for that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for for slaughter. Yet... In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul writes, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, we need that. We need that right now in our time. I am persuaded neither death nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers. That's what we're up against right now. Behind all this evil that's going on in the world are the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. But don't forget, Jesus was the one that created them. He created them. He has control of them. We're seeing the breakdown in society. We're seeing the breakdown in every area of our lives. And unless we keep focused on Jesus, we're going to be focused on this stuff. But don't forget, he's the one that created these principalities and powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Throughout my lifetime, I was always worried about the what-ifs. Took me a long, long time. What if? What if? What if I lose my job? What if? Only to find out in all these years I can look back and I thought, you know what? Not one of those what ifs ever came about. <laughs> Not one of them. I was worried about them. I was really worried about them. Here's the next problem we have. Are we condemning ourselves? If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. We're sometimes our own worst enemies. If nobody else condemns us, we start condemning ourselves. You see, I don't measure up. Don't measure up. I haven't read enough. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I failed here. I failed there. And our heart begins to condemn us. You been there? I've been there many times. God used somebody else. I'm not equipped for this. You know I'm not equipped for this. But God is greater than our hearts. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Do we have anything to fear in life? No. No. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Not the Mosaic law. This is his commandment, that you should believe on the name of the son of, on his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. He's made it simple. We're set free. God, from the very beginning, wanted to set mankind free. That's why he planned before the creation that Jesus would come as the Savior for sinners. God has always wanted his people free. Having died to sin and the law, the believer is free to live their life directed by the Holy Spirit, which results in life and peace. You are free, but we have a choice to make. And that choice is where we're going to set our minds. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your minds on the realities or the things of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. 
and not the things of earth, for you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You and I, as believers, are in Christ, in God, secure as you could ever be. Have you anything to fear? Have you fear of condemnation? Are you condemning yourself? Don't forget, God has placed you into Christ. Christ is in the Father. They are both in God and we are in them. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. What an awesome life the believer has. Could you wish for a better life? If you come under condemnation, I think most of us have at one time or another. Bear this in mind, that God loves us. Our part in all of this is to set our minds on him and on things above. We'll be able to face anything that comes along, and we don't know what it is that we might have to face. But we'll be able to face it because we know that we're not condemned and that one day Jesus is coming to take us.